pop quiz. Too late. You've already started the episode. You can't back out. Name a country from Africa that's not Egypt. No. Name a country from Western Africa. Go. This is U.S. history. See the globe right there. Really? What country did we fight in the Revolutionary War? France. If you put any event under a microscope, you will find a whole dimension of completely weird, incredible things going on. Here's another pop quiz. Probably like, dude, I'm just listening to this for fun. What is this? What is Africa not? If you said a country, 10,000 shrewd bucks to you. Folks, Africa is a continent. It is made up of a bunch of countries. Now, now they're all countries. It wasn't always like that. I double dog dare you to Google Africa size comparison map. I have it up right now, but you really need to look it up. And these are all the countries that fit in to the mainland of Africa. The United States, Portugal, Spain, Belgium, Netherlands, France, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, Eastern Europe, India, China and Japan. Now you got to like move some things around. There's like China part one and part two, India part one and part two. The point being, think of like, I'm looking at this map. The United States takes up essentially like the Sahara Desert, which if you think about that is, and not even, like it's bigger than the United States. It seems like, think about this. Drive from Maine all the way to Los Angeles. If you had that road trip, you're like, that's going to take forever. Let's fly. You are covering essentially the center of Africa going west. And if you don't, like, if you can't even visualize Africa, you need to, ideally, if you're not driving, Google image Africa. It's huge. It's huge. Not only is Africa trucking huge, it's incredibly diverse. You're like, okay, yeah. Like, for instance, think about how big Africa is. You could have someone that's in Western Africa, let's say in the Ivory Coast, and then someone that's in, let's say, I don't know, Mozambique. You think they're the same type of person? You think they share the same culture? First off, the distance is just incredibly far. That's a. How about this? Are the people from Maine in the United States similar to the people in New Mexico? Like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess. But they're also quite different. Like, Florida? Florida (laughs) is its own thing? Compared to like the Midwest, you know, like, so culture, you look at the United States, there is a variety of culture. Like you go down to the Southeast, the Bible Belt, that's much different than New England. 
Now, there are similarities. For the most part, everyone speaks English. Not going to generalize. Think of Africa. Like when someone's from Africa, or like, oh, they're African. That's a continent. Africa itself is made up of, like, I searched this, there are over 2,000 languages in Africa. Some of them, they have similar roots. There was like six basic roots, but 2,000 languages. So when you're like, oh, Africa, <laughs> what do you think of? The Lion King? I'm, I'm again, I'm like, this is supposed to be the least offensive. This is actually supposed to be like informative, ideally, coming from a white male. So if that offends you, I'm sorry. <laughs> but like when you think of Africa, do you think of like the savannah? Like lions and elephants and giraffes and hyenas and Africans? Because again, Africa is trucking huge. There's a huge, there's a jungle in there. There's a huge desert in there. There is a savannah in there. But it is so diverse in regards to culture and geography, if we'll call it that. You have Africans who are living in the jungle. You have Africans who are living in the savannah. You have major cities. I We need to get past. And if, you're, if I'm saying this, you're like, duh, I've been past this for 10 years. That's great. At least when I'm talking to my students... Like, Africa is not a singular country made up of the same people. Just like, like Italy, for instance. Italy became a country in 1861. And I looked up a map of, like, different ethnic cultural groups in Italy. When someone's in that little boot-looking peninsula... You're like, oh, they're an Italian. And then you think of like, oh, Italians, uh, they talk with their hands. But like they are, if you were to talk to someone from Italian, like Northern Italy is much different from Southern Italy. And Sicilians are very different from people. Like, do you get what I'm saying? And that's the boot of Italy. You need to, when you're not driving, Google size, Africa size comparison map. Africa's history, human history, is probably as deep as it gets because their theory is that humans, Homo sapiens, originated in Africa and then migrated out. Incredibly large. There are empires that come and go in Africa. There, I'm sure there are societies that we don't even know of. Like The issue with early human history is people didn't really write things down. So we just have archaeology and then oral history. And then like there are still remnants. Like obviously you have ancient Egypt. You have Ghana. You have Mali. You have these other empires that pop up that we have stories of. Africa has such a long, wide, like broad history. If you get what I mean by that. Even during the Roman Empire, um, the northern part of Africa that's connected to the Mediterranean, again, think of earlier, geographically speaking, the Mediterranean was like the watering hole. 
right? Everyone would come there. Why? I feel like I want to say right a lot, like, right? Um, easier to travel through water. You can move more. That's also connects. You get into Eastern Europe and you go into like the Middle East, which can, then connects you to the Silk Road, the Roman Empire, the Mediterranean. Africa was in the Roman Empire and areas such as Egypt, Lib- Blah. Libya, Algeria, Morocco, and Tunisia were apparently some of the richest provinces in the Roman Empire. So they're like, just to get past another stereotype, like Africa, not that wealthy. Certainly not true. In the past, from what I've seen, one of the, one of the, if not the most wealthiest person in the history of humanity, Mansa Musa, was from Africa. There is incredible wealth in Africa. There is current wealth in Africa. There are cities. It's not just a savanna with huts. I'm not going to be diving into all of African history. Like this class is very much a tip of the iceberg, big history, just theoretical concepts. And if you're interested, you can do your own research. How's that sound? So what is the purpose of this class, this episode of the pod class? Last week, we looked at imperialism and we said, what and why? Europe decides to take it to the next level. They have already colonized areas like the British colonies that had a revolution and turned to the United States of America, right? European countries already had colonies, but around the late 1800s, they decide to try to take over the world That's imperialism. It's strengthening yourself either through diplomatic or military force. They decided to use essentially military force. Now, why? A major answer is racism. Like they thought they were superior. And by Europeans, like the Caucasians, and which they didn't even think all white people were equal, right? They thought some white people were more evolved than other people on the planet. And therefore, they have a responsibility and a duty to civilize called it the white man's burden which is as we know very racist but there was more to it they were all competing against one another and as that prime minister gave in his speech that i read he was essentially saying listen and this is from the french perspective germany is industrializing they're setting up trade barriers they are becoming more powerful this is a, like, in his mind, he was like, this isn't even a discussion. Like, we have to get into this imperial game. Spreading out, getting ports and outlets. One of the reasons why was like, a ship can only carry two weeks of coal. So if we're really trying to go around the world, we need ports. And they have industrialized and they're making stuff and in order to make stuff what do you need you need more stuff so competition economic let's say uh opportunity the opportunity is like stepping on others we talked about the ethics of the board game like if you don't do this you have fear that your own people will starve and lose to Germany. 
And that's the last reason he gave essentially like this is a patriotic issue that if we don't do this, we're going to suffer as a nation. And I talked before in the um, board game episode where I was saying like, ideally you want to live kumbaya with people, but what do you do when Germany or England, if you're France, Germany and England and Spain are trying to become more powerful and they're building up an army and they're looking at your border. Do you want to be kumbaya? So, Europe has already been involved in Africa. By the time 1884 comes and you have the Berlin Conference where they're talking about how they're going to split up the continent, they've already gotten their hands into Africa. How? The Atlantic slave trade. So, like the triangle trade. Thinking about what that is, Europe would go to Africa with supplies. A lot of times it was like weapons, some some sort. They'd bring something to offer. They would trade those supplies for Africans. Now, when I say like Africans are usually kidnapping other Africans and like selling them into the slave trade, you might be like, well, why are they doing that to their own people? They're not. They don't view each other as like, oh, we're all one. Now, you have like empires that might go under the same name. If you like uh, Google African ethnic map or Google, like if you ever, if you've ever seen a map of like Native American tribes, not saying every single group of people were tribes in Africa, but like you have North America and then you have a bunch of different tribes. Like they're all not like they're all Native Americans, but they wouldn't be like, yeah, like we're all one. They had been going at it with each other for a very, very long time. So Africans, for the most part, are kidnapping other people, selling them off. They're getting something. Those people go to the Americas, either north or south, growing a certain type of cash crop, sugar, tobacco, cotton, that's going to Europe. It's being manufactured into something. That is a completely oversimplified version of the Atlantic slave trade. This is the tip of the iceberg. So I'm like not diving super deep into that. The reason why I say it is in 1884, it's not like Europe discovers the Americas in 1492. And I use discovers in quotations we're already familiar with each other. In fact, around 1492 and around when like Portugal starts to explore Africa, they're on essentially equal playing fields. And African people of variety of groups, if you will, because they're all not the same, fight off a lot of Europeans and they also like make deals with each other and like they're trading with each other. And then Eastern Africa is also trading with the Middle East and they have like their own thing going on. But Europe around the Industrial Revolution looks at Africa with a different purpose. And it really starts with this guy, King Leopold II from Belgium. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you have heard of King Leopold II? How many of you have heard of Adolf Hitler? 
This is a little thing I do with my students. Maybe a kid will raise their hand when I say, how many of you have heard of King Leopold II? Everyone raises their hand when they, when I'm like, who's heard of Adolf Hitler? King Leopold II, the number has a wide range. Um, I've seen between 10 to 20 million people. He is responsible, if you will. His actions are responsible for 10 to 20 million people dying in the Congo in Africa. Now, when I say the Congo, that's like the central western part of, it's like the jungle. His, his actions, his decisions are responsible for 10 to 20 million people dying. And you've probably, you are unlikely to have heard of him. Your average person, let's say that, I'm like, hey, what do you know about King Leopold II? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Interesting. Why is that? Anywho, so King Leopold II realizes that there is opportunity in this whole colonial expansion business. Yeah? And he leads a charge from Belgium to go into Africa and start to explore. He's like, hey, what do we got here? Now, other European countries look at him like, well, that's a waste of time because that's just a huge jungle. Like, there's nothing you can do with this space. It's just like this wasteland, if you will. And he he has this like initial pitch. It's like, we're going to go civilize them. And he goes in, in there. And he call he does what we'll call exploits resources. Now. Why do you think he's doing that? Well, because there's a demand for it. So, like, the first one is ivory. But, like, there isn't a whole bunch you can do, like, uh, what's the word? Productive things you can do with ivory. It's really just like, oh, I want my chess pieces to be made of that, right? Like, fancy schmancy stuff. But then all of a sudden, rubber which comes out of trees. I don't know why I was shocked when I first heard that. I was like, what? But King Leopold II goes around, has people sign in the area that he's going through, and he is not literally, he's having people do this, going around and having the local people sign treaties. In their mind, they're like signing a deal. In his mind, they're signing away their land. And he's now like, I own this. Again, how can you as a human being do that? This, this is where the whole racial stuff comes in. He doesn't view them as equal, right? He's like, ah, these are a bunch of savages who are just like misusing the land. You don't feel bad when you just take the land from them. Like they're human beings. You clearly don't view them as equal humans. You're not empathizing with those people. But he and his people do it. And then what they start to do is force the local people to go into the jungle and collect rubber and harvest rubber. What the, one of the strategies was they would kidnap the women in these tribes, societies, groups, and say to the men, like, you have a quota. You need to get this much amount of rubber. Go get it. And if you don't, we're going to either chop your kid's hand off your wife's hand off and or your hand off so this is an example this is not like the whole story of africa but king leopold goes in there 
he sees in this area, like visualize the map. He goes into the Congo and he sees a raw material. The raw material is rubber. Now, that raw material can be harvested and manufactured into something as long as it's through an industrial society. Agricultural societies can be like, oh, I guess we could use the rubber to like make a few things, but an industrial society, oh, rubber? Think of all the things that rubber goes like can be used for. So, what's going on? Belgium is making a profit via exploiting the resources in the Congo. And then Europe, the rest of Europe sees this and they're like, wait a second, this is an excellent opportunity to make bank. This is the why. And they all start to dive in. That's the Berlin Conference where they're all like, okay, what are the rules? And they split up Africa. And now the game is on. It's the scramble for Africa. It's the board game, right? It's like the, a new part of the map is opened up. It's like the expansion edition of Settlers of Catan, if you know what I'm talking about. And they're like, it's free real estate. You know that meme? Meanwhile, like there's a bunch. Is this, I mean, is it not similar to when North America was discovered and South America was discovered? I put that in quotations. And they're like, dude, look at all this open land. <laughs> Just a minor detail that people have been living on it for tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years, and like developed in depth, complex culture and society. Eh. <laughs> That's the super racist part. Yeah. So European countries send out people to sign treaties um, with leaders of these African societies, states, kingdoms, decentralized societies, which we can get into that when we do liberty and empires. They'd send people out, give them a treaty. Again, the, the people thought like, okay, yeah, we can work together. We can make a deal. Sure. Like, let's let's trade. The Europeans were like, yo, you just sent, like signed your land away. And then I don't know like what in their minds if they're like, well, I mean, they signed the deal. You shouldn't have signed it. That's like the whole like terms and conditions thing. And like they put in like, you signed your life away. And, like, well, I'll, you should read it. And let's think about this. This is today's first brain game. What would be a kumbaya deal? between the European nations and the African societies. What would post-industrial revolution, if Europe was kumbaya, one with each other, that's a whole, like, because Europe isn't a singular nation, right? It's, it's a bunch of separate nations competing against one another. But let's say Europe goes into Africa. What would be like the diplomatic kumbaya deal that would happen? Pause. Think. I'm going to come back in three seconds. Okay, so let's think about this. What would be the kumbaya deal? Well, how does a deal work? What is a deal? Like, Usually what it is, is like there are at least two sides and they are trying to get something from one another or get something... And they can use another group to get what they want. Like if it's a card, if I'm a, 
an exchange of a car, what's happening? One person wants to sell the car. The other one needs a car. They work out a deal. They shake hands. Boom. Both sides get what they want. There's something in it for both sides. So what are what do both sides offer and what do both sides want? What does Africa offer? Resources. Yeah? Google African resource map. It is rich in raw materials and resources. What do they want? Well, that's a tough one, yeah, because like we don't know, like Africa isn't a singular voice. Some people might be like, "Hey, we want to be left alone. Like we're the Amish of Africa." Can you imagine? <laughs> there was like a mirror group of the Amish in Africa, like dress and everything. Obviously, the hair and beard's going to be a little different. That'd be wild. But what does anyone want in the game? I've talked about this before. They want to currently function and continue to function. So either they want like a specific product, like, hey, we need weapons. Or they just want an opportunity to make money. They want to increase power. Maybe they're like, yo, get us connected to other trade routes. Who knows what they want? But they would, if it was a deal, they would go in to negotiate like, this is what we want. We have something that you want. Now, what does Europe offer? This is a little bit more, maybe difficult. Europe offers value. They create more value for the raw materials that are in Africa. Why? Because they have industrialized. They have the means to do something with the raw materials. Not saying that the African people who are sitting on like rubber or gold or salt or steel or whatever are unable to do anything with it. But Europe at that time has the means to like, yo, we can take this on a mass scale, create something and then sell it. So there could be a deal. And the Africans, depending on the group, went in and like saw this whole like treaty thing. Like, oh, nice. We're, we're making deals here. We're networking. And then once they found out, like once a bunch of white people start showing up and just start like bossing people around and like they have guns, they're like, hold up. And a lot of times they resisted. Now you have, from what I've seen, centralized societies and decentralized societies in Africa. Centralized societies are areas that have established governments, like the state of Pennsylvania, let's say, has a government and like shared laws. The United States is a centralized area now. Like some people like don't want centralized government. That's kind of a side thing. The other option is a decentralized society where you walk into like this land and you're like, yo, who runs this place? And they're like, what do you mean? They're like, well, our families, we're the Stevensons over here. They're the, and they like, it's a bunch of, there's no leader. We'll get into that when we get into the liberty discussion. Stateless societies. The decentralized areas have a much harder time resisting. They like try guerrilla warfare. The more centralized locations, like they are able to somewhat resist. And in fact, like with Ethiopia, they never really get colonized. 
Italy has like they go to war essentially with Ethiopia. For the most part, Africa loses. Now, again, when I say Africa loses, I'm talking about a whole bunch of individual societies that lose to Europe. This wasn't a war. If you're like, I get it. I'm sorry, but this was not a war between Europe and Africa. This is a key distinction. Europe is made up of a bunch of individual states or nations or societies that are going around taking over other individual states and societies. And when you look at the map, that is the result. To the colonial state, as I've seen it be called. Now, here's an... One sec. Unethical brain game. We're not doing this, like, this isn't a... This is just... It's a prediction, yeah? How do you think the industrial imperial power controls and exploits the colonial, the colony. What do you think that looks like? What is this strategy of the imperial power? Three, two, one. We're back. Okay, so I would think, okay, well, what is the goal of the imperial power? It's another brain game. Like, well, it's really in the end, it's just to make as much of a profit as possible. How do you do that? You're going after the raw materials of that area. Okay. How do you do this? There is at least two different strategies indirect rule and direct rule. Um, Britain was. I would say both are infamous because this is all infamous. This is all terrible, by the way. Like, what we're talking about is people's land that they've been on and their ancestors have been on for a very, very, very long time. And then another player on the board game looks at them and is like, that's mine now, and then just takes it. And tip of the iceberg, I'm really not diving into all the stories that come along with this, but I said, King Leopold is responsible for between 10 to 20 million people dying. And then even when you hear that, you're like, how is it? That's double. Because there are, we don't have cameras. We don't have, I'm sure they're not like writing down all the people that died. Those people certainly aren't like doing a census. They don't have IDs. We don't know the depth and I don't think we ever will of like just suffering that occurs from this. All for what, by the way? An extra buck, like oversimplified. In the European mind, they're like, one, we're civilizing them. Two, if I don't do it, Germany's going to take us over. So you can tell that to the dying children of my country. It's like, okay. Anywho. Britain utilizes indirect rule. And what they do is they take their colony, they subdivide it into provinces, providences, and then they would divide that into districts. And their mindset was, we're going to try to keep the established governmental system, however that's structured for these people, 
And if your leaders, local African tribe, village, state, society, whatever, if you are going to remain loyal to us, you can stay in power. If not, peace. So what they're, they have like the native authority as it's called, and that's the local ruler or rulers, the colonial officials. So the natives really answer to the colonial official. Um, and then an administrative staff that's like staff, that's the like treasury and everyone else. So like it's a new government that just comes in here. And what is the purpose of that government? We want to take those raw materials. We want to get them off the ground, out of the ground, and we want to send them back to our homeland, the motherland. The other option, it's what the French did, is they would try to, it's called direct rule. Um, they would just send in essentially a new government and try to force the local people to assimilate and become French. Like they're just removing everything. They're like, no longer, <laughs> you, you're not called this, you are now this. I'll get into like some issues in a moment. This is called acculturation where it's like a mass scale of like removing a culture. Hey, history nerds in American history, does this remind you of anything? The Carlisle Indian school, like the United States did this to native Americans one, we just like kick them out. And then two, we're like, hey, you need to assimilate into our culture. So you establish like the power or the authority. And then what you would really do is you would find the best land, either mining or farming. And let's say it's farming. So what they would do is they would just go around, they'd find the best farmland and say, okay, you're gone and whatever you were growing, that's not going to make as much profit as what are called cash crops. They're called cash crops for a reason. They're not really like used for like surviving and like food, really. It's like cocoa, tea, and cotton because that's going to make us money. So this land is now going to be utilized to grow, let's say, tea. What's the problem with that? That land that was being used to grow, let's say, yams or food is no longer happening. So, like, all these people are like, well, where are we getting our food? Like, that's not the point, says the imperial power. And then they would use the local Africans and either do cheap labor or forced labor, like, Again, just like it's so large and it's so complex, like they would tax the Africans and when they couldn't afford the taxes, they would be like, well, then you owe us time. So that's essentially like that's an indentured servant. That's kind of like a slave. I'm like, okay, now you're going to work on this land. You're going to help us grow tea, which we're going to then collect. Well, no, I'm not going to collect it, says the imperial power. You are all going to grow it and collect it. I'm going to watch that happen. And then when you collect it, you're going to gather it up. I'm going to put it on my boat and I'm going to send it back to the motherland. Or like cotton, I'm going to send it back to the motherland or we're going to make some shirts. 
What are the effects of this? And we'll wrap up. This is like basic level stuff. Yeah, I'm just giving you like the rundown of this is what happened. Europe looks at map. <laughs> Europe looks at a map of Africa and they're like, uh, it's free real estate and it's a crap ton of raw materials that we can use. They go in, they establish a new order, either with indirect or direct rule, and they essentially force people to work on the land, either in a mine or in a farm, to gather up that raw material and then send it on a boat in back to Europe. So what are the effects of this? Let's just consider the economic effect because the cultural effect is it's a complete loss of culture and like looking at the ethnic map of Africa, like you have a bunch of different groups who are like, I would not consider myself like Pennsylvania, New Jersey, right? Let's say scratch that. I don't like that. <laughs> Sorry. You have a bunch of pe a bunch of groups of people who do not identify as like a we think of like the whole culture thing like there's not really much of a shared culture not only that like if you think about the whole western african like slave trade thing like you're talking about people who've been groups who have been competing with one another and like selling trying to sell each other into slavery and all of a sudden you're like you're under them you're the, under the french colony now and you're gonna work together for us that's going to lead to a lot of tension and then when France bounces, they're like, okay, bye. In like the 1950s, all of a sudden these people are like, look at the Rwandan genocide. Any, like this is, I got to stick with the tip of the iceberg here. What happens? Here's my analogy. And I'm going to end with this. I was watching uh, Planet Earth or one of those nature documentaries narrated by David Attenborough. And it was in the jungle, and it showed footage of a tree going down. And then once the tree in the jungle goes down, like you have the canopy, which is just this huge layer of the tops of the trees, right? That gets most of the sunlight. When a tree goes down, there's now a gap in the canopy, and sunlight makes it down to the ground floor. Yeah? You envisioning this? Now... They did this really cool time-lapse footage of all of a sudden these plants start like shooting out of the ground and they're all competing to get to that gap. They're all, the sunlight, the resource is life for them and these plants have different strategies. Like some are like shoot up as tall as possible, super fast. Others are shoot up and like go wide. Why? Because then you're blocking sunlight. Think of it like this. All, like all these plants are there, yeah? In this gap of the sun. One shoots up first. Let's call it Europe. They have industrialized. And what does Europe do? Europe takes its leaves and they spread it out. And they cover the sunlight of, I don't know, Africa, Asia. The Americas are kind of doing their own thing at this point. They block the sunlight out. So what does that mean? 
That means that Europe is getting the sunlight that should be, in theory. I know it's a competition, you would say. Like, well, it's what they do. It's blocking the sunlight that Africa could be getting. And therefore, Africa could use that sunlight to grow. Europe is getting all of that sunlight. Europe is growing. Europe grows and grows and grows and grows. Let's say the plant, the African plant and the Asian plant don't die. And now all of a sudden, someone's like, hey, man, this is actually kind of messed up. Let's like trim. Let's just trim a few leaves. Like, right. Let's let's make let's help Africa get some sunlight. The issue is. At this point, Europe's roots, the plant, the tree are deep and Africa or Asia is this tiny plant that's like, okay, now you need to utilize what you got and like use the sunlight. I hope that helps. <laughs> but think about this. Europe goes into Africa. They, all these resources, these raw materials that Africa, again, not a singular thing, but these societies in Africa could have utilized themselves to become stronger. All of that gets taken from them and makes Europe stronger. And Europe gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And Africa develops a systemic infrastructure that's created and utilized to take the raw materials and use that to strengthen someone else. So all of a sudden, when if you look at a map of decolonized Africa, and like really it happens in the 1950s and 60s, except for except for South Africa, that's one of them. But all of a sudden, like Europe's like, all right, bye, good luck. It's not that easy. Just like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna start now. All that time, all those laborers who were working with cheap labor, like they never were able to develop or build up some capital. All these mines, like who has the money now to run these mines? All of these politicians who were working under these European countries, and when the European countries leave, there's like a vacuum of power. And a lot of people are looking at those who were loyal to the Europeans once the European leaves and like, mm, what's up? It's not so simple as like Europe leaves and Africa's like things are okay now. Which may hopefully help you like slightly understand Africa today. If you have to at least have an understanding of what Africa went through in the late 1800s going into the mid 1900s. And I true I covered the tip of the iceberg. It's because that's like the point of this class. If you're interested in that, dive deeper. Start asking questions. What questions should you ask? Pick a pick an area. The what, like what happened? How did this colony how was it controlled? What are the effects? There's too many stories to like cover in a po- this would be a whole podcast series. This is a class. Like this is what people get a PhD in. That's like the issue with history really. It's like it's just too much. But what do we see? The most basic summed up version. You have a lot of raw materials in Africa. Ideally, the people that live in the area that have the raw materials 
should have the opportunity to utilize and have sovereignty over those raw materials to do what they want with that. But what happened was Europe showed up. They said, this is our land now. This is my land. I'm going to choose what's grown here. You are going to grow it. You are going to harvest it. You're going to put it in my truck and it's going to go away. And you're not going to see that money. So where's all the money going? Out of Africa. So all the people that live there that are living in this condition where it's either essentially slavery or cheap labor, they're barely making a living. And then all of a sudden Europe leaves and then they're like, okay, like be farmers now. Run your society now. Like we're gone. Good luck. It's not that simple. And Africa is one example. It happens in India and in Asia. Which is going to lead us into a more modern perspective. So moving on from this point, we're going to be looking at HDI, Development, Human Development Index. So if there's a spectrum of a nation that is and is more or less developed, let's say, like third world countries, if you will. How do we gauge like what is a less developed country? And we're going to be looking at more modern stuff. But hopefully, like, at least you have an understanding of like, okay, this is what the Industrial Revolution was and this is what imperialism was. The effects we're still seeing today. And if you are interested, check out what Britain did to India. Japan, what Japan does in Asia. Check out more of Africa. That's it for me, y'all. Peace.